I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversations, diverse connections, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go with another incredible, incredible episode. My guest for today is Jessica Flint. And what an incredible voice, what a spiritual soul that we have for this upcoming episode. I'm sure most of you know her. She is the founder of Recovery Warriors. And Jessica just has a lot of beauty to share with the world. So let's just jump right into it. Here we go. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I am so honored to have on today's guest, another podcaster, Jessica Flint. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you, Karen. I'm so excited to be here, and I love I love what you're doing. This is an amazing show. Well, I want to thank you because I love what you're doing now. I love some ideas that you have that you're doing in the future. And I I want to take a step back and not say a, fe- a, a fellow podcaster, but almost like a fellow soul sister, which is wanting to express and explain what eating disorders are all about to people. And that's what you and I do. So I apologize. I didn't mean to be like, yes, it's another podcaster. It's it's what you're doing. So could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Well, just to add to your point there, podcasting is this medium for storytelling. And I think it's so beautiful to get into these stories around recovery because that's where there's so much of that heart and that soul really shines through. I am the founder of Recovery Warriors, which is a multimedia resource hub for eating disorder recovery. We have uh, a lot of different resources, an app that I created a while while back called Rise Up, uh, online articles and podcasts. And I'm also the CEO of True Warrior, which is a education platform to inspire people to truly step into their fullest potential and... I'm an improv geek. I love to uh, just be lighthearted. And I think that's a lot of the energy I bring into the healing space is how can you make healing fun? How can you make it something that is reflective of who you truly are? So finding that like authentic self is, is really, and we all, you know, get to those different layers of healing differently. So for me, it is through humor and lightheartedness. Yeah. Well, there's a few things that you said that I want to just touch on, which is 
I think when we when we think about eating disorders, when we think about therapy, treatment, all of this, our mind automatically goes to the darkness. Yeah. The and and there is a lot of darkness in eating disorders. Both of us can attest to that. But there is the the as we start moving through, we start finding light, humor, courage, all these things. So I love that you add humor and and I love that you do improv because comedy for me is a huge sign of intelligence. Anyone who can do comedy that's just, that's a big thing for me. It's taught me how to trust myself more because you have to be in the moment and you, you can't be in your head as much. When you're in the eating disorder, you're really kind of thinking far out into the future and the past. And so it's really hard to be in that present moment state. The comedy is just like allowing yourself to like express what's in your mind at that very second. And you just have to trust that it's going to come out all right. <laughs> and trust that if it doesn't come out all right, that you're going to be okay. Exactly. Yeah. And you're right. It is about being fully present. It's so funny. I didn't think we'd start by talking about the improv, but it's so interesting. When you're doing improv, if you are off in your mind being like, okay, so I ate this this morning and then I didn't go to the gym. And if I didn't go to the gym, can I go to the gym later? And then what if I binge? And what if I would, like, if you're doing that, you just lost the show, right? Yeah. Yeah, you lose the you lose that connection. And for all the listeners who don't know too much about improv, there is this the basic premise around it is this idea of concept of yes and. So whenever you're working with someone, you always have to agree with what they just stated. It's called like the reality that you're in, and then you add to it. And so I find that that can be helpful if you're feeling an emotion and then yes, okay, I'm feeling this and what can I do about it instead of resisting or trying to go ignoring and saying, no, that's not what's happening. Ignoring the reality. It's saying, yes, this is my reality. And I now have the position to do something like, so I, I can collaborate with my emotions and I can collaborate with my scene partners, but generally a bad scene is when someone says like, Hey, we're in Mars. And you're like, no, we're not. And it's like the whole scene just dies. So you have to be like, yes, we're in Mars. And I like Mars candy bars. So <laughs> <laughs> But this is, again, it's so fascinating. We can take anything that we're doing in life. And if we look at how we do it, how we wouldn't be able to do it with the eating disorder and how we can without, it's it's just amazing. And, and I know for my own self, I had a misconception that the deeper I was in my eating disorder, the more I looked a certain way or pretended to feel a certain way, the farther I'd go in life. And I also had an illusion of what I thought it meant to go far in life, like the perfect job and the perfect, none of it happens, Jessica, in the eating disorder. And for those who are, you know, quote unquote, top of their game right now, but in their eating disorder and they're sitting there going like, yeah, well, I made it to the top and I still have my eating disorder. You didn't do it a hundred percent by being a hundred percent present. You missed a lot, right? Oh, totally. I look back at, you know, I, you know, I, I got a lot of accolades and honors throughout my life because of this hard, hardwired perfectionist to like put it all of my studies and everything before connection or just my like, truly what I want to do and be. And 
uh, I missed out so much in life during those times because the eating disorder ran rampant because I didn't have a pressure valve to release all this self-induced pressure that I was putting on myself. And so food became that outlet and beating myself up became that outlet, right? This never ending perfectionistic, always having to put the bar higher and higher. And I wasn't happy. I was actually the worst in terms of overall happiness and well-being, but I was a high performer, you could say, or I was doing well academically, athletically, but I was suffering. Yeah. Which, which leads me to sort of take a turn and say, talk a little bit about Recovery Warrior and True Warrior. Wait, I said them wrong, didn't I? Recovery Warriors and then and- True Warrior. Oh, okay. So I just, I, I put plural in the wrong way. Everybody does that. But talk about that because both of these, these organizations, if, if that's the, the right way of putting it, are about being present in the world. How do you connect with others? Sometimes we connect or often we connect through our imperfections and isn't that beautiful? So can you say, speak a little bit to them? Yeah. I mean, I think Recovery Warriors just has that global community because it's so many people who struggle with this issue. And the I really love the archetype of a warrior. I think it's something that we need in order to, a lot of times eating disorders can be rooted in the victim mentality because there's been some transgression in life that they people feel that they've been wounded by or possibly issues that happened early in childhood or traumas. And so we need our cultivate our own strength within us to be able to defend against any, as a protector, but at the same time what you're saying is that we need to not be closed off and so self-protected that we don't let anybody in. So it's this beautiful, like, I kind of think of this warrior more as like a feminine warrior who has the ability to protect herself meanwhile or himself i'm not saying it has to be gender but just this ability to have an open heart but have the boundaries around you to protect it so i think the boundaries are really important not the walls because i lived a lot of my life very walled off to protect myself and now i'm really learning about the difference between walls versus boundaries and there's a significant difference and you're right. One of the differences is that when we live behind self-imposed walls, our hearts are closed off. Yeah, they're impenetrable. When we live with healthy boundaries, by the way, our boundaries are sometimes guided by what our heart's feeling. And so we're being guided by our heart, which is you know, the opposite of walls. And so, yeah, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, it's beautiful saying guided by your heart, because I think when you allow yourself more permission to to step into this vulnerable space, which, you know, according to Brene Brown, who I love, you know, what what is vulnerability? It's emotional exposure, uncertainty and risk. And so when you're you can have that vulnerability to step into experiencing your emotions, uh, not knowing how long they're going to last or how intense they're going to be and the uncertainty and the risk of connection, then you really allow your heart to, to guide you into new, new territory as opposed to just staying in your self-isolated island. Yeah. What, what was your experience like growing up 
in an eating disorder with all of the walls up. You said that you had all these walls and it sounds like you had a bit of a perfectionistic driven personality traits. And, you know, I, I guess instead of saying, what was it like? Cause that's, that's not where I want to go. I want to, I want to turn it a little bit and ask how you moved through recovery. And something I asked you at the very beginning when we were talking earlier is what, what or who was important in your recovery and where should we go first? Cause I know the answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess just some like backstory on how I see the development of my eating disorder. Because I think everybody's development of it's different and for the reasons that they they need the eating disorder to hold on to. And I grew up in, I would say a, a marriage that my mom and my dad weren't necessarily um, compatible with each other. And they divorced relatively early and it was a series of like a bankruptcy and so we just lost everything. And I struggled a lot with losing my family unit at such a young age. And looking back, even through my ancestral line, my mom, her mom, so my grandma, she got, she had my mom very late in life. She had my mom when she was 42. And she, she was a stay-at-home mom. So I think there's probably some, you know, fertility issues or whatever happened. So she had her very late and she got a really bad depression after. And my grandpa was the head uh, secretary. Uh, he was very high up in a position at Quaker Oats. And so he was able to pay for all the best medical care. But in the late fifties, that was electric shock therapy. And that was experimental medications for people who were struggling with depression. And so my mom essentially had a mom who was bedridden her whole life and was in and out of mental homes. And my mom had to go to boarding schools. And so my mom developed addictions herself in an eating disorder. And why that's important is it's something that I've seen much later in my recovery of having a mom who was sick. My she Her mom was sick. My mom was sick. And with her own, with her own struggles. And I would like to call like demons, right? Shame, like shame can be such an intense, dark demon within you. And growing up, my mom didn't really have the ability to nurture or be there for me emotionally. Cause I don't think she even knew what that was like to have a mom that was there emotionally. And even, and so there was this way that I created this defense mechanism because my dad left, he remarried, moved away and had like a new family. And then I had my mom who was really just mirroring to me what low self-worth is, low self-esteem and jealousy essentially. And I, I thought that my performance would give me love. Like if I was to be the best in my class, I always thought if I was to do well, my dad would come back or my dad would be proud of me or he would you know, he would show up for me somehow and it, it never happened. Or if I, my, if I did well, my mom would love me and she would say like, you're doing a good job. So I'd be that kid who would try to get straight A's and put it on the fridge and show it off and like hope that I would get like a little ounce of validation. And I never did. And it, that was, that I think set up this mechanism within me that I felt that I needed to, to change who I was in order to be loved 
Like it, there wasn't just this inherent, like, I love you for who you are. And it, it led me to food very early. I started binge eating around the age of six. And I even was able to like find my own binge food by doing like odd tasks around 7-Eleven to like dust the cans and zone the cans. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I, I was very entrepreneurial even at a young age and, and that meant getting my binge food. And, or I would just do funny things with like my friends, like any type of truth or dare, or any type of like bet that I could win to get food, I would, like, I would do it. Um, and so food became love for me. And I believe that a lot of eating disorders have to do for the hunger for love. And even if you come from a very loving family, I still think there can be some hunger that you could have even for your own love. Like if you have a hard time giving yourself love, then you can be hungry for it. No matter how much love comes through you, if it doesn't stay within you, it's, it's still going to leave that emptiness. And so I was really empty for most of my life. And so I've tried to fill myself up with food a lot and with validation from my coaches and my teachers. And I think one of the hard, like, yeah, that was a really hard aspect of it was just never feeling like I could be enough because you think like, oh, if I do this well in the external world, then, you know, like then people are going to love me and they're going to show up for me. And so for me, it really came down to understanding that in order for me to get better, in order for me to be the best version of myself, it has to come 100% from me. Like I have to learn how to love myself and I have to fight for myself because my mom still actively struggles in eating disorder. She's not going to fight for her, fight for me. She can't fight for herself. Like, so it's like how I can't put an expectation upon somebody if they can't even deliver the same care to their own selves. So that that was always kind of a thing for me. It was just being there for myself and rooting for my recovery and believing that I, I'm worthy of it and I can can have a better life. And I think that what I I think what most people don't understand is first of all, the concept of loving themselves. Because first of all, I think we live in a culture where people are embarrassed to say that they like who they are, which was one of the things that went into my eating disorder. There were a few parts of myself that I actually liked, but I was really embarrassed that I liked those parts of myself. Mm. Also, just the idea, like sometimes I think sayings or expressions, they they lose their magic because we use them too often. Like, and the, the term of like, oh, you have to love yourself has almost gotten to an, an it's over said that it's lost what it truly means. At least this is my thought. It doesn't mean that like I wake up every morning and I look in the mirror and I kiss myself and go, oh, I love you. It means that when I'm walking through the world and I feel insecure, I can still self-talk and self-soothe and say, you are a beautiful human being. You are deserving of X, Y, and Z, whatever it is. It's totally that. It's the self-compassion. It's having the ability to self-soothe and nurture because life is tough. Like I think a lot of times people think like the eating disorder is like this biggest problem. If I was to solve this and I would have no problems or my like problems be minimized. It's like, not really. Like as humans, we love to have problems to solve. Like an eating disorder is just one that people are putting an immense amount of time and energy into. 
which is important to get to a place in recovery where you are solving the problem, but you're not the problem. There, but there will be another problem that's going to show up in life. We're we're wired to have problems in our life. And so if we can meet ourselves as we roll, roll <laughs> go through life, understanding that we're going to encounter hard times, we're going to encounter obstacles, we're going to be faced with our own shadows, our own limitations. We all have parts of us that we wish we didn't have. And owning the wholeness of ourself and recognizing, okay, like I'm here for you. I think that's the most important thing is for me is just to know, because I have what I would think is more being sort of master a lot of my abandonment issues that happened early on emotionally and physically is I always have to be here for me now. Like, what does that mean to be here for me now? It means to, to even just like hold my hand to my heart and just physically say like, I'm here for you. We're going to get through this. Like, it's okay that you're feeling this and not trying to reject that experience. So when you started Recovery Warrior, was there a part of you that wanted to create this tribe of people so they didn't feel the loneliness or the abandonment that you felt like? Say, say a little bit about how you started Recovery Warrior, because as you said, it's global and, you know, it's, it's, it's a really phenomenal platform. So can you speak a little bit to it? Yeah, I started it, you know, it's interesting. I, I love astrology. I find that's very fascinating. I was, so I was in, when I started, I got this reading back when I was doing my, um, I was in grad school for, I was actually studying at the time geophysics and I got a reading and the woman was like, you, you know, you're going to do this work in the world to try to heal your mom. And it's really never going to do that but it's going to elevate you and like status or your like your public roles essentially in your life mission. And I was like, okay, wait, I'm studying rocks and like sediment transport. Like, I don't know what this lady's talking about, but okay, cool. And, uh, and then fast forward, I be, I was a seagoing oceanographer. And so I was out in sea and I did get this inspiration to start an app and I was going to initially call it, yes, I can, because I felt like that's such an important thing is just to believe in yourself and say like, yes, I can. And so I, I am one of these people, if I get an impulse, I act on it. I think I am connected to my intuition and that's a gift that I, I'm very grateful to have. And so I, I went for it and I just started to, to create the app. And then from there, Recovery Warriors was born because I needed to have a name to put it under but I recently realized now Recovery Warriors is nine years in. And I do think the initial thing was an unconscious attempt to try to help my mom heal. Yeah. And it was actually really, I had a really hard time about a year ago, like pandemic time in the beginning where, where it just kind of dawned on me that like, huh, like this work hasn't helped her. Right. Like I don't, it won't. And so, and, uh, yeah, it almost, I, I think that I carried for a while some resentment almost at my work for a period, not, not fully, like, but just there's this period where there's some resentment where it's like, God, like, oh, like, it didn't work. And I think that's because I brought what was unconscious to my conscious where I realized that there was this part of me that thought if I could create this and I could really show that recovery is possible and that you don't have to think so bad about yourself and hurt the people around you by the way you're treating yourself, then, you know, you 
it's possible, right? Yes, I can. Yes, you can. Uh, and I had to go, I had to go through a lot of like soul searching and just reflection and recognizing that her path is her path. My path is my path. And I've been able to inspire millions through this work. And so it, it has been worthwhile. And in a way it, it's the catalyst for my whole career. And just like that astrologer said that it really has been the catalyst for my career. Mm. It's interesting because as you were saying that, you said you're impulsive, but it's because you listen to your intuition. You're very connected with your intuition. So it's so interesting because I have to imagine when you were closed up and in your eating disorder for all those years, you were 100% disconnected from your intuition and maybe were even a little more misguided. So use the eating disorder even more because you didn't have your intuition to help navigate you. Oh, totally. Like going into the PhD program, that was not my intuition. That was like my ego being like, you need to get a PhD in order to be loved. (laughs) I did the same thing. I started with a PsyD program because I was like, nobody thought I would, you know, everyone used to say like, you know, she's, she's a good kid, but she's not the smartest one in the bunch. And, you know, now I'm going to show everybody, guess what? I dropped out of the PsyD program because my heart, that's not where my heart was. That was my ego talking. And you never, you never end up where you want to be. When you do, you're unhappy. If you are, like you do get it. And then you're like, great, now I'm unhappy. But I also think sometimes it's really good to stumble and fall that way, to to get sort of caught up in ego, make a decision, start working. And then that moment that you realize and also recognizing it's okay, I can shift and do it differently, which was for me very opposite from my eating disorder. Everything was very methodical and very well, you know, there was no veering. And if I made a mistake, Jessica, I I blame myself. I was embarrassed. I didn't want anyone to know. Now I own it. And I say, you know what? I think I was doing that for all the wrong reasons. And this is what I really want to do. And instead of being embarrassed by my mistakes, I'm kind of proud of what I recognized in that. Yeah. Oh, mistakes are such valuable lesson givers. Like I, I think you know, whenever I work with my team and a lot of the women who work on my team have histories of eating sores. So there's kind of that like mistake, like, oh my God, I like let her down. And I'm like, no, it's good. We made a mistake. <laughs> like nobody, nobody got hurt. Like now, now you're actually going to like learn from this because if you don't make mistakes, it's hard to learn. Like it's hard to have that ego confrontation where you're like, oh man, or but just, you're talking about even bigger, like life, quote unquote, mistakes, things that you just walk down the wrong path. But what, greater lesson to walk down the wrong path for a long time and be like, oh, great. Now I have to like change directions. Cause you really had to honor that you spent all that time going down that wrong path. And it becomes more meaningful when you're on the right path. Cause then you know, you're like on the right direction or in the right direction. Absolutely. It's true. It's true. And so when did true warrior That's more of a training or am I wrong? Can you tell listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, it's more, I would say I've come, since I started Recovery Warriors, what has really grown within me is more of like a spiritual awakening. And just because I didn't have, I would say, dominant caregivers, what's been important for me is reparenting and really having, and you 
no one, we can't be absent of a care, right? So I've had to create my own, my own kind of archetypes of a mother and a father, divine mother, divine father to really hold within me. So I feel supported in this life. So I don't feel that I'm unsafe and unsupported and, and not cared for. So for me, a higher power has been essential because in, in, in that connection has really fueled me and, and feeling like I can do things in the world and I can show up and take risks and not need to have everything about external validation, but just by my own guidance and trusting it and acting upon it. And so for True Warrior, what has really been born from it is this helping, and I love to help people really understand who they are. I, I think that if you struggle with names for so long, you tend to lose sight of who you are. Like what makes you unique? Like what makes Karen cool? Like what is your little even your idiosyncrasies or your strengths and your weaknesses, your shadows, the part of you that you don't want people to really see. But if we don't own that, right? If we don't own our full selves, then we're always going to be constantly rejecting ourselves and not accepting ourselves fully. So that authentic self's true warriors, where I really love to help people do the training to to understand who they are at, at their fullness. And that's all aspects of self. And so it's it's rooted more in like union psychology, I would say is what I'm really interested, the understanding of the masculine feminine. Cause I fell very heavy into the masculine uh, concept and I struggled a lot cause I felt like I, I had to protect myself. I didn't really have a father to instill that in me. And I'd had things that happened in my life that made me feel unsafe. And so, finding that feminine ability to trust and surrender and just be right. And just be in my body was a really hard thing for me for so long. Cause I also didn't have a, a, a mother to really instill that into me or that it, and it doesn't necessarily have to come from your mother or your father, but I didn't have that growing up to see those archetypes in full bloom. So true warrior has been more about creating education, educational resources. I would say for, closing the gap of who you are and who you're capable of being. And I love to really help people grow into their full selves. I, I, as do I, I feel the same way. When you were talking about uh, the Jungian archetypes, I don't, it, it's interesting because I didn't, I never think about it like that, but it, it is a little bit similar is when, especially when it comes to a family system that was not available, emotionally available. And I always say, you know, your, your parents, quote unquote, can be anybody that you want them to be. So, you know, if it might not be the mother you were born from, is that the right way of putting it? It might not be your biological parents, but I, and I have wonderful parents and I still have mother figures other than my mother, father figures other than my father. And forgive me, I didn't mean to say it like I have wonderful parents. I, that didn't, forgive me, Jessica, that didn't come out the way I wanted to say. No, I think it's important though. Like some, some people really do have wonderful. And so every, that's another thing with eating disorders that I realized is for a while, I thought like only people who could have like really effed up childhoods are going to have eating disorders. Like, cause that's of course my frame of mind that I was coming in with. And then I start to work so much with people over the years. I'm like, 
wait, but you have really good parents. I don't understand why, like, why, where are you effed up? Like, I mean, I'm saying jokingly, but like, like, why, why do you struggle? And then it's like, but it's because there's, it's all like the development's all so differently. So I, I totally think that's important to say, because some people have guilt and shame for having eating disorder when they have parents who are like really fighting for them. And they think, wait, I don't deserve to have you fight for me. And so it's, it is very interesting that like family dynamics, how they play in. And it shows that there's never one thing that causes an eating disorder. There's so many things. And also my parents and, and my mom right now is probably cringing, but I'm saying this as a, as a compliment, were good enough parents. They weren't perfect parents. And I don't know, I don't, I've never met a perfect parent. And so a good enough parent is sometimes going to miss something in a child's psyche, day, life. So, so it's not just about the parents because they're human. They're not there 24 seven. So of course you can come from any family system. And, you know, I had it somewhat opposite. I was very smothered. I'm the youngest and the only girl in my family. So I was very, I was overly protected. I was loved so much that, that for me, the rest of the world was really scary to me. I just need, my family unit was like, oh, I just need this. And so our experiences are, depend on our personality traits. By the way, Jessica, I also, I'm going to use the term got that way. I don't know because I have an anxious personality trait. So I could have a friend who was the youngest and the only girl and their parents smother them and she became, or he became defiant and, you know, went opposite from the family system. So there's never one thing that goes into it. It's so complicated and complex, which is also why it's so challenging and so hard to recover. This is not a quick fix, right? Yeah. No, it in what I was thinking when you were talking was like it's the meaning that we make, especially when we are in that early formative period of growing up. If you are anxious, you may make more meanings out of things that are gonna have more fear based around them, or like I need to perform in order to be loved because when I do perform, I get love and I see that. But it's like that's just because you made that meaning, because that's just because you made that connection. That's not the truth, right? So I'll give you I'll give you a perfect example. When when I was little and I wanted to do things and my parents would be like you can't do it and I'd be like don't you trust me and my mother used to say to me and and she was trying to build me up. But my brain she used to say to me it's not you that I don't trust it's the rest of the world. And all I heard was you can't trust the rest of the world because I have an anxious personality trait. So I started losing trust in myself. By the way, there was no intentional harm. Again, it's the meaning that I made of it, which was the world is not safe. You cannot be trusted out in the world. Do you see what I'm saying? And it again, it's the meaning that we make of things. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. So I'm wondering what are some of these, like some of the things that you, when you're working with people in true recovery, no, why do I keep getting it wrong? True warrior. <laughs> true, true warrior. I know it is. A lot of people do get them confused. So like recovery warriors, 
I like to think like globe, like lots of people and then true warriors, like how do you become like the truest expression of yourself? Like how, what is your true warrior essence? That's beautiful. Do you have philosophies that you work through? How do you guide people through this? I, I like to do a little more of a stoic, like philosophies I think are helpful, even though there's a part of me that really understands the like under like emotion, we don't want to suppress emotion, but I do believe that obstacles make us stronger and the obstacle is the way and I can do hard things. You can do hard things. So that is an element that I like to bring in is a little more of this understanding that if there's hardships in our life, that they can create resilient resiliency within us. And so they're not to be, uh, hidden from or avoided, but to be confronted in, in a compassionate way. So that is a philosophy that I really hold, hold dear. And another is that, you know, we're, I believe that we're always growing and evolving and I choose to always want to grow and evolve. I always want to reach to the sun and, and try to, to find more light in my life. But that means I also have to endure the darkness. Cause I think that, you know, you can't always be in the light there's a night and there's a day, right? So we have to understand that there's going to be times that are going to be more shadowy in our lives and, and darker emotions will come up in that shame. I'm still working on healing shame. And I think it's ancestral shame that I'm working on now. That's just deeper layers of shame that go beyond just my life story. And, and, and in a way I get to be a container for that. Like I get to be someone who really gets to work with my ancestral line and help, help heal it. And, so for a lot of the philosophies that I, I work with is understanding that there is who you are now, and then there's who you're capable of being and how can you close that gap? And it's really a moment to moment to moment decision. And it's really in that between that stimulus and response that we can choose who we want to become in any, any given moment. And that's just bringing you into that present state and helping you act as if. I like to really help people see that you, you can become, there's kind of the cliche of like fake it till you make it, which I've never liked. I've never really liked that one at all because I feel it's really disempowering for one. And then two, I think it fuels this idea of imposter syndrome, like just fake it, like, you know, <laughs> until you make it. And it may, like, to me, it sounds like, well, like that doesn't sound empowering. So I like to do this concept of acting as if. And so what, how, how would you act if you were recovered? So a lot of times they even say like, who is your recovered self? Like start to really understand how your recovered self is going to interact in different situations and then act as if in that moment, maybe you're still struggling with binge eating. Maybe you're still struggling with uh, purging or restricting, but when you can act as if you're somebody who can be comfortable around food or who can go to the fridge, open it with an intense desire to binge and purge and then close it and go do something else. And just that one time, every time you act as if like, okay, I, I am a recovered person. I am my recovered self. You start to, to win your own trust and, you know, you become more confident. And confidence really just breaks down. Etym the etymology of it is intense trust. So if you want to be confident in yourself, confident in your body and confident in your food choices, confident in, in the way you show up in the world, you have to cultivate trust. And so that's another area I would like to work on. Like philosophies is like, how do you build trust? I think 
you said something that I'm I'm big on like words and stuff like that. And it's not even a word, but you said at that moment. And that's an important phrase because you said, who do you want to be at that moment? Meaning if I'm going through my day and again, I'm just going to use if I'm working from ego space, I, I can change it. I can say at any moment, wait a minute, I'm not coming from my authentic self. I'm coming from maybe a fear base. What's driving me? I can change it at that moment and continue on the rest of the day. And I think people, when they struggle with eating disorders, forget that at any moment, you can go in a different direction. It's not, well, I started the morning with binging and purging, so I might as well. Great. So you started the morning. So at this moment, we're going to go in a different direction. And I think that's a really powerful concept because there's so much black or white thinking in eating disorders, especially in what the behaviors represent with things like that. Yeah. Yeah. The point of power is always in the now. Like it really is. It's always in the present. And what I love is the the concept, I'm sure like you've talked about on the show of opposite action, like that when you are struggling with eating disorder, you always like, when you do that opposite action, you tend to feel so powerful. Like it really gives you life and it gives you energy. Cause you're like, I went against my normal, what I would have done to continue down the route that I didn't want to go, but I habitually go down, or I don't have quite the, the ability to believe in myself quite yet that I'm worthy. I think worth is so important. Like, are you worthy of being loved? Yes, you are. Okay. Like that's the truth. Sometimes you struggle like, no, like I'm not worthy of this. I I don't feel good enough. And so as you can begin to just believe I'm going to do decisions, act as if I was good enough, act as if I was worthy of this. And because we are like, that's the worthy as, as we are, as no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how much you're struggling. Yeah. And and I think that that is a bigger concept than than people who are not in the field of eating disorders. It's a bigger it's a bigger part of eating disorders than is talked about, which is I don't feel worthy enough. I don't feel worthy of love. I don't feel worthy of support, friendship, and that can be deeply, deeply rooted and very, very hard to untangle yourself from because if you're feeling at that place it is a it is a belief system that you've created and it's it's really it's hard I you look like you were agreeing I don't know if there was anything you want to add or just no so much I agree so much with that and I you know a lot of times expression of our outer world, I, I do believe that the outer world is often kind of expressive of what's in our inner world. So for having these things that can show, but see, like they didn't, they rejected me. Like that person didn't want to be with me. Therefore I have this uh, evidence of it, but it's really, it's because it's deeper within you. So if you can change that, but I've had so many times where I've like literally just been like, I wish I could just like find this part of me. Like, cause it is so deep within me. I'm like, can I just like get rid of it? Like, how do I, and it just feels like, so like, like helpless sometimes or powerless. Cause you're like, it's still in me. Like I still feel this. And that is when shame, resilience and compassion come in so much to just be like, yes, you're feeling this way. And no, this isn't how you have to continue 
to like, or yes, I mean, yes. And yes. And I still love you. Yes. And we're going to get better and we're going to work through this. And yes. And the more you use your behaviors, the more negativity you're going to feel. It doesn't work the way the, the eating disorder fools you into thinking, oh, but if we just binge and purge, we'll get release this negative energy. If we just over-exercise, if we just, whatever it is, maybe for a moment, but then we go deeper into the depth of despair, disappointment, self-criticism. And so now you've added a problem on top of a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's hard to, that's hard to work with. And that's also often why people feel misunderstood when their loved ones are only trying to talk to them about their behaviors, but that's all that they're showing. They're not showing that true self underneath. So they think their eating disorders are speaking for them. They're not. They're just speaking eating disorder language, binge, purge, laxatives. That's all that they're hearing and seeing. So that's all that they're trying to work with. That's gold, Karen. That's it. I mean, it really is because it's like, that is that whole iceberg analogy, right? Like it's the tip, it's what's visible. It's like, this is what we can see and work with tangibly because this is how we can change it. And there's numbers behind it and reduction and all of that. And then there's the deeper root. And until you let yourself work into that that space of that deeper root. And I mean, I think a misbelief that I had was if I recovered, that root would just absolve and I wouldn't have it anymore. But like, I'm still working on that root. And I don't have the eating disorder anymore. I don't have the physical behaviors or any of that. Like that, that's gone. But the deeper work in the belief system and that still shows up in my life. And I work with it more consciously now. And I don't have this big problem that I put on top of it to avoid looking at the root issue. So it has been really healing actually to, to be able to explore that space without self-sabotage, without self-punishment and just self-destructive behaviors. Well, it's the only way to be able to look at that space. You know, I'll just speak for myself. I was terrified to look at that root, those roots down inside of me that felt less than, you know, insecure, whatever, whatever the things were, you know, adulting, adulthood fears. I was so terrified that I, I quote unquote, made sure there was no space at all to explore them because I covered them with the eating disorder. Mm -hmm. That's also another reason why people don't understand that eating disorders take so long to recover from because it's not just from the behaviors. You have to work on the emotional stuff that went into the eating disorder to begin with. And some of that is life work right? And so it's it's just, it, it is, again, it is not overnight. It's when I used to have clients, their parents would drop them off at residential and then they'd be like, they're going to be cured when I come back and pick them up, right? And I'm like, uh, what? No. But you know what though? A lot of people, because they just show behaviors, their families only consider the behaviors as the, the thing to work on. Yeah. Yeah, you really have to get into those deeper layers and make them conscious because I think so much of it is unconscious and you don't even know that it's driving your life. And yeah, so the conscious is the eating disorder behavior or like the food and the body that's very conscious, but then 
deeper part is making that conscious. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes to the Jungian theory, mm-hmm. right? Which is yeah. so powerful and so beautiful to apply. Yeah. One of his favorite quotes of mine is until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you'll consider it fate. So you always think like, oh, I'm always with this type of person or this, like no one ever sees me and just all these different things. And then you just start to realize like, okay, let me make this conscious because there's a pattern here. And then that means it's within me and I can change it or work with it. You know, I, I'm aware, uh, first of all, I, I'm going to say I'm aware that we're, we're starting to wind down because, you know, we're getting close to the end. But what I first want to say is, I feel like this went by in two minutes. So <laughs> I'm a little shocked that we're very close to the end. So you get two podcasters together. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my God. And two people that like now love to talk about themselves and their emotional work and all this stuff. But I, I'm really, really like I, I want to support you in any way that I can because I love the work that you're doing. And I want listeners to know, and I'm sure all my listeners are laughing right now being like, Karen, we knew that. But you're shifting the concept of your podcast. And I would like for you to talk about that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, was a, it was a big decision for me. Talk about listening to your heart and just being vulnerable because I've I've run the Recovery Warrior show for many years, but there really was a point where I, I just wasn't as in, I wasn't getting as pushed intellectually for me. Like I wanted to kind of explore other areas. Cause I felt like my eating disorder, I mean, I'm, I'm 14 years recovered now. And I feel like it's, you know, I've learned a lot about eating disorder recovery and I, I want to learn more. So I'm creating a podcast where I read books. I'm, I'm an avid reader. I haven't owned a TV in 18 years. So I literally just read. I don't watch any TV. And I, not to say TV is bad, but I'm just saying that that's how I spend my time. I was like, wait a minute. I watch TV. Oh. <laughs> yeah. If you watch TV, you're cooler than me because I really don't know anything about TV. So, um, but I, so I read books and what I found really helpful is not everybody reads books, right? Maybe they can say I watch TV. And uh, so I want to, review a book and what I call my love notes. So it's similar to a cliff note where I'm going to get the key summaries from the book, the 10 ideas that I love within it, and then also connect other books I've read. So you can start to have this whole constellation of learning points and everything. And it's going to be rooted around topics of healing, spirituality, uh, work in the world, your higher purpose. I, I like to help people step into leadership, in whatever area that they want to work in. So it's uh, it's going to be fun. And then I want to interview the authors. So my goal is eventually to be interviewing people like Glennon Doyle or Brene Brown. That's my future plan, I hope. But I would love to be able to get a really solid listenership and then interview some major New York Times bestselling authors. Because I love, I've always loved interviewing authors. I think yeah. for me, they're just like really fun interviews. So it, yeah, it's, it's also, you know, I get fascinated by, I, I can't believe how many books I've been reading since doing the podcast. Cause I always want to read the author's book before I do the interview. And, and it's, I, I feel like it's a gift that has been bestowed upon me to suddenly get back into reading like this. It's, it's been really beautiful. There was something I was going to, Oh, I know what I was going to say. It actually sounds Jessica, like you're, you're not leaving eating disorders, you're just transforming into another world of 
healing and spirituality. It just, it just feels like a natural progression for you. That's, that's just what I got from it. Yeah, you know, so beautiful just hearing that from you and from this conversation is I think I'm going to the root because I I spent so much time at the surface and I felt like when I was talking about the eating disorder that it was, I'm not saying it's like surficial, but I felt like I was talking a lot about the behaviors and in the the eating disordered work. And what I've come to realize is that that work really is something that can for many people be their whole life. And it's not bad. It's not bad work. If you fall in love with the work, you fall in love with the problem of, oh, I, I carry some low self-esteem or low worth issues. And so that's my problem. I want to work with that and I can heal that and, and improve. So for me, it is about, yeah, how do I, how do I help people with the root issues, the shame, the unworthiness, the, the, the fear of connection because of any abandonments or betrayals they've had? Yeah. Well, it sounds wonderful. It sounds wonderful. So Before we do end completely, I do have one last question for you, which has nothing to do with eating disorders or spirituality or anything. And that question is, Jessica, if someone were to write about you on a bathroom stall, what would it say? (laughs) Just make LOL. (laughs) Oh, um, if they write on me, I mean, is this like a long prose or just one word? Or is this like a oh, no one's asked that. <laughs> um, you know what? It's whatever you want, it's your bathroom stall. You can, whatever it's my bathroom stall. Um, <laughs> Jessica was here. No, uh, they would say, I like this question, they would say, um, light and love. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. Jessica, I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being part of this podcast. Thank you. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me and having such insightful conversations. My pleasure. All right, everyone. That does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. To wrap for this week's episode of Recovery Bites, real talk with recovered professionals. And I thank each and every one of you for tuning in with me. You can view more from today's episode, including guest information and excerpts by visiting www.karenlewisedc.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe to future shows by searching Recovery Bites on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast. All right, everybody, be well, and thanks for listening to my Bite for the Week. <laughs>